morning. Scripture reading and our uh, passage this morning will be in Haggai chapter 2. Haggai 2, verses 1 through 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, declares the Lord of hosts. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Something's not quite right. We know it. We can feel it in our bones. Things are not as they should be. It can be tough to articulate, tough to put our finger on. Maybe it's the economy, $12 for a package of ground beef. Now at our house, we're incorporating a couple of vegetarian meals a couple times a week. Thanks a lot, inflation. Maybe it's healthcare. Has anyone been able to find children's Tylenol? Can we raid your medicine cabinet? Maybe it's politics. The left and the right keep getting further and further apart, yet it seems closer and closer to blows. Maybe it's simply our relationships. There seem to be these tensions and mistrust. People fear opening up with each other because of some unknown offense that might be triggered. Maybe it's lost relationships. We all have some war wounds after the last couple of years. We may have lost friends, family, church family. It's been hard. All of creation is groaning, as Paul would write. Something's not quite right. Things are not as they should be. Things should be better than this. In the first nine verses of Haggai 2, we find things are not as they should be for the Jewish people either. The people have repented of their apathy, and they have returned to rebuilding the temple as God had commanded them through the prophet Haggai. They were being obedient. 
they had reprioritized. And though they had put their apathy behind them, they are still discouraged because of the temple. It's not as it should be or as it once was. It's off. It's not nearly as impressive as the last temple, Solomon's temple. And so God has a message for his people through the prophet Haggai. It is a message of understanding and reassurance, and it's a message that something better is still to come. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would speak to us through it by your spirit. We pray that you would convict and encourage us, and Lord, conform us into the image of Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen. As we come to Haggai 2, we find that the people have been back at rebuilding the temple now for several weeks. The 21st day of the seventh month corresponds with the final day of the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a feast to celebrate God's provision for Israel during the nation's 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. It's kind of like Thanksgiving in a way. And though this was to be a joyous occasion, there is sadness among the people. So God has a message to deliver through the prophet Haggai, and he's going to start by delivering three rapid-fire rhetorical questions. Look at verse 3. Who was left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? God is saying, I know what you're thinking. This temple pales in comparison to the old one. It's not that good. He understands their dejection. He gets why they are feeling the way they are feeling. And that in and of itself is an encouraging reminder, is it not? That God knows us, what we are thinking, right where we are at. As David said to Solomon, the Lord searches all hearts and understands every thought. Or as the disciples prayed in Acts, the Lord knows the hearts of all. God understands the people's hearts. He knows what they are thinking. The temple is not much to look at. He gets that. He gets that they are discouraged. He knows the temple is as nothing. But after he tells the people that he understands both what they are thinking and what they are feeling, God follows up with three instructions for his people. Verses 4 and 5. Be strong, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all you people of the land. Verse 4. Work, for I am with you. Verse 5. Fear not. Be strong, Work, fear not. The instruction to do is sandwiched between two instructions for how the people are to think, what their dispositions should be, what type of worldview they should have. Work is what they are to do. Stay at it, guys. Keep going. And then be strong, fear not. That is to be their dispositions. The people are to be characterized by demeanors of fortitude and determination and courage. It's a reminder for all of us that even when we are down or defeated, 
God still has a purpose for us, a calling for us, and we are to work. God still calls us to serve him. By his Holy Spirit, we are to participate in the building up of our spiritual house. In our discouragement, we may want to slip into our sweats and start shoveling Doritos. But God here calls his people to work diligently through emotion, through any pain they may be experiencing. But this is not a stubborn work that powers through. I'm just going to get through this. It's not straightened shoulders and a stiff upper lip. This is work that even in the pain or the discouragement of raw emotion is strong and courageous because it trusts God and it rests in his provision. It is a work that derives its value and enthusiasm and motivation from a love for God and all that he is. It is a work that believes God and takes him at his word when he says, I am with you. God said it to the people in chapter 1 when they committed to returning to the rebuilding project. And he says, I am with you here again in chapter 2 in response to their discouragement. I am with you. God says that he is with the people according to the covenant that he made with them when they came out of Egypt. He reassures them. And these are powerful words, a soothing reminder from God. On this final day of the Feast of Tabernacles, God reminds his people of the covenant he made with them some 900 years earlier. God promised Moses in Exodus 33, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And when God's presence is with his people, he is with them in all of his character and in all his attributes. God, a short while later, would reveal his name to Moses as the Lord, the Lord who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, And this is a stacked Hebrew word used throughout the Old Testament that compacts all of who God is in his loyalty and generosity and mercy and goodness and kindness and favor all into one loaded word, one descriptor of who he is. He is the Lord who forgives sins and he is the Lord who is just. This is the God who was with them. God is using this special occasion, this holiday as it were, to reassure the people that just as he was with the people in the days of Moses, he is with them again today, even after exile. And he strengthens that reassurance so that there is no doubt. He says in verse 5, My spirit remains in your midst. The covenant that I made with you 900 years ago still stands, and my Holy Spirit is among you to accomplish my purposes. So be strong and fear not. I have not forgotten you. I am with you according to the covenant I made with you. 
And so with a disappointed and discouraged nation in front of us, we are presented with a God who understands his people, who instructs his people, and who reassures his people. It's interesting because the people had a similar reaction to Jesus when he was on the scene. Just as they were disappointed by the lack of grandeur with this new temple, they were also disappointed with who Jesus turned out to be. The Messiah, the anointed one, was supposed to be a leader, someone to behold. They expected a mighty victor who would rescue his people from occupation and oppression, who would deliver freedom, power, and glory, and triumph. What they got was a meek and a mild lamb who was crucified and died as a criminal. Crucified as a criminal in our place that our sins might be forgiven. They might have asked each other about this Jesus. How do you see him now? Is he not as nothing in your eyes? And in some circles, there persists still today this laser focus, almost an exclusionary focus, on Jesus, the mighty leader. Jesus, who will deliver political reform and social reform, freedom from oppressive thoughts and systems and worldviews. There is an eagerness and a thirst for reform in our town square rooted in what is good and right and pure. Jesus even promised, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. God knows something is off, that things are not as they should be, that we desire our institutions and politics to be good and just and pure, God knows that creation is indeed groaning. He knows our relational pains, our hearts, that we may have been hurt by friends or family, or perhaps even betrayed. He knows we disappoint ourselves. Lord, I did it again, me and my big mouth. I have sinned, I have hurt others. There is forgiveness offered through Jesus. He's aware of the consequences of sin as they play out around us and in the world. He gets that too. He knows the tension and the strife that we feel in our bones. It seems like it's everywhere. The Lord knows the hearts of all. And he promises that something better is indeed coming. He promised something better to his discouraged people as they rebuilt. Look at verses 6 through 9. Yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. 
In chapter 1, God said he would have put a curse onto everything because of the people's disobedience. Now, in chapter 2, God says he is going to reorder everything. He is going to rearrange everything. He is going to shake things up. He is going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, all of it. Realign the whole created order so that everything is as it should be, as God has intended, good and right and pure and designed for our flourishing. And we long for that day. The writer of Hebrews picks up on that day in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 26 to 29. He describes this as a cosmic shaking, a supernatural reset. This is what the writer of Hebrews wrote. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. A direct link back to Haggai. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire." Brothers and sisters, we who have been born again, we who have been recreated by God's Holy Spirit, are part of this kingdom that cannot be shaken. But before we inherit this kingdom that cannot be shaken, God needs to shake up our own hearts. Before we receive Jesus, conquering victor, of power and glory and triumph over heaven and earth, the Jesus who will one day rule the earth with goodness and purity and justice, before that Jesus is revealed to us, we need to receive Jesus the Lamb. Jesus, meek and mild. Jesus crucified for sinners, you and I the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you have not received forgiveness of sins through this Lamb of God, call out to him today for salvation. Put your faith in him only for the forgiveness of your sins, for new and everlasting life. Without him, I am obligated to warn you that our God is a consuming fire. Paul would write to the Thessalonians that when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, he will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. When we repent of our sins and receive Jesus by faith, scripture teaches we are adopted into God's family, that we are part of his household, the spiritual house that he is building. We are made co-heirs with the Lord Jesus. When God promised to Moses that his presence would go with his people, Moses asked God, please, show me your glory. God answered, I will make my goodness pass before you, but you cannot see my face, 
for man shall not see me and live. For the believer, we wait for the day the Apostle John wrote about when he said, we will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads and we will reign forever and ever. Or as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Something better is coming. God is going to shake things up. But for now, we understand that things are not as they should be, that things are still off. We know and we trust that God, by his word and by his spirit, is first shaking up the hearts of men and women, one by one. Is he shaking your heart this morning? Is he, work, he is working, often quietly, in subtle ways to convince and convict the world of sin and judgment and righteousness, as Jesus would say. We know that he understands us. We hear his instructions for us. We hear the words, be strong, work, for I am with you, fear not. And as we discussed last week, we are compelled to respond to him when he calls us. We are compelled to be strong and courageous, to work. It is inherent to who we are in Christ. And we are reassured by his promises. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. In describing that day, when he will shake things up. God says through Haggai in verse 9, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. The glory of God in Solomon's temple will be as nothing, insignificant, compared to the glory of God in the new heavens and the new earth. And in this place, God says, I will give peace. Peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. There will no longer be a sense that something is off. There will be no more need for shake-ups, for reordering and rearranging to the way things should be. Everything will be as it ought to be. All will be well. And we won't just feel it in our bones. We will know it. And we will live in it and by it forever. John also writes about that day. In Revelation, he says this, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, Jesus the Conqueror and Jesus the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, 
we look forward with a deep longing to that day where you will rearrange all that is off in the world and all that needs to be shaken up, all under the King Jesus who will return in power and in might. And Lord, we look forward to that day. Lord, right now we understand that you are working through the hearts of men and women, that you are calling them to repentance. And Lord, if that's happening this morning, we ask that you would uh, shake hearts in a way that calls sinners to repentance. For those of us who know you, Lord, we ask that we would be strengthened by your promises, by your word that both uh, we know that you understand us and that you reassure us and that you have work for us to do. We thank you for all that you are, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.